Ephesians. Uh, we're going to start Ephesians chapter 3. What I do? Oh, okay. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 3. I always celebrate the, the fact that I am at church on Super Bowl Sunday. <clears throat> it was a time that that would not have been so. But uh, God's a good God, right? Amen. He don't ever give up on us, even when we're knuckleheads and we put other things before him. He's patient, loving, kind. And as we've looked at the first, as we hopefully complete the first three chapters of Ephesians today, it's what Paul's been talking about. All the great things we have in the Lord. That in him we have everything that we need. In him, whatever we're lacking, whatever we think we're, we're unsatisfied with, will be fulfilled. We'll find it when we find ourselves in him. And as I was preparing all this, I, I came across uh, um, two English words I knew, you know, comprehend and apprehend. But I never really thought a lot about them, you know, except when I had them on a spelling test when I was a kid. After that, you know, I didn't really care much about comprehend and apprehend. But comprehend speaks of being able to grasp that something with your mind. Apprehend speaks of being able to grasp something with your hands. A lot of us in our relationship with the Lord, we comprehend. Maybe we can grasp Him with our minds. We understand, you know, I grew up in a church. I, I knew who Jesus was from an early age. I knew who He was, what He'd done, what He'd accomplished for me. I comprehend it. But it probably wasn't until I was about 30 years old that I began to apprehend to lay hold of with my hands the truth of what he gives us. Jesus said that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. And for a lot of my life, I never really experienced that. I saw the words on the page. I comprehend what he's saying. But I never apprehended that abundant life. Until I began to understand this mystery that Paul is so excited about in chapter 3 and as he concludes chapter 2. The mystery that now you and me, Jew, Gentile, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, no matter your race, no matter your background, we become in Christ a new creation, a new race, a new humanity. We're not the same. We're no longer defined by all those attributes outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he would go on to saying, great is this mystery. What is that mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's my prayer today that we'll come from comprehending that statement with our mind to apprehending it with our hands. That we are apprehending what God has for us. What really is involved in that beautiful thing and Paul, that Paul's so stoked about. He's going to spend, he starts in verse 1 of chapter 3. I can relate. He starts in verse 1 of chapter 3 getting ready to pray. Many of you on a Sunday morning have thought, oh, that's what Jackie says right before he prays. And then I'll talk for 10 more minutes before I pray. But that's what Paul's doing. He begins chapter 3 with, okay, I'm getting ready to pray. But that reminds me, and he continues to build on this concept of the incredible riches that we have in Christ Jesus. That I was once dead, but now I'm alive in Christ. That I was once separated from Him, but now I've been reconciled to Him. That at one time I was afar off, but now He's brought me near. 
And Paul's just stoked about it. I don't know other way to say it. He is stoked about what God has done for him, about what God has provided for him, about what God has planned for him. So he begins, as we take a look at chapter 3, he begins, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Now, as he begins, he's going he's gonna to call himself two things, a prisoner and a minister. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the Gentiles. He's in prison because that's where Christ wants him to be. He's got a prison ministry. In fact, he's going to write several uh, what we call the prison epistles. Um, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon are going to come while he's imprisoned in Rome. Part of that imprisonment, that whole thing that he goes through is what God has in mind for him. And so he understands that. This is my road, Paul says. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ, but I'm here for the Gentiles. You know why he was arrested? He was sharing his testimony at the temple. And everybody got quiet. They were listening. And then he said that the Gentiles and the Jews and all of us could come in Christ and be one new humanity. And they had a riot. Tried to pull him limb from limb. And send him off into prison. And prison he would go. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ, but it's for you. It's for the mystery. It's for this this truth that God's given me. He says in verse 2, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. If you've heard of the dispensation of grace. Now, there is a tool. There are several tools, actually, in regard to understanding the, the Word of God. People go to school to learn how to do A lot of those things they call systematic theology. And in systematic theology, they have rules that are tools to help us rightly divide the Word of God. One of those rules is the concept of dispensations. That there's what the Bible calls a progressive revelation of God. That means that slowly through time, God revealed His plan to the world a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. And in those dispensations, we see God speaking to to those people and answering questions you and I and others may have today. Proving a point, points that the Lord has through those. Now when we look at dispensation, we talk about dispensations, understand, as a tool. Okay, tool, tool, like a wrench. It is not inspired, it is not the word of God. It's a tool that we use to help us understand what, was, what God was doing at a certain time. Well, uh, most people agree on eight dispensations. Here Paul alludes to the dispensation of grace. But before the dispensation of grace, in fact, all the way back to the beginning, we have what's called the dispensation of innocence. And in each one of these, God's dealing with people in a certain way and answering a question you and I might have. You know, If only I had the opportunity to be born in innocence. If I didn't have a sin nature, if I didn't have parents teaching me to sin or or causing me problems, then everything in my life would be different. But if we look through the whole counsel of God's Word, we'll see in the dispensation of innocence, man born without sin, falling into sin. The dispensation of innocence, it begins with creation and And it ends at the fall, and it answers that question. There's something that's inherent within man that causes man's desire to rebel 
against authority and ultimately against the Lord. Then we have the dispensation of conscience. You know, if we all just acted according to our conscience, if we did what our conscience tells us to do, then then everything would be okay. If we live and let live, what we see in the dispensation of conscience, it runs from the fall to the flood, roughly 1,600 years. And in that 1,600 years of following the conscience of man, the Bible goes on to declare that the thoughts of man's heart were evil continually. Evil continually. So conscience didn't work. Conscience wasn't working, that concept. So then we have the dispensation of government. God starts government. Well, if we had the right government, if we had the right leadership, everything would be okay, right? That runs us from the flood to the Tower of Babel with a, with a, a king called Nimrod. Yeah, I don't understand why. Today we wouldn't name our children that, will we? Not usually, anyway. <clears throat> but here we see... This guy Nimrod, what was he all about? Rebelling against the Lord. Rebelling against the Lord. What are we discovering in government? Does government solve all our problems? No. no. It creates its own batch of problems, doesn't it? So the dispensation of government, it runs from the flood to the Tower of Babel. Then we have the dispensation of promise. Oh, if, if only I, I had or understood the, the promises of God. So we have the dispensation of promise. It runs from Abraham. Begins at Abraham and it goes all the way to Egypt. Where God is laying out his promises to Abraham. All I really need is a vision. If I can lay hold of a promise, it'll all be okay. But where does it end? In bondage. In Egypt. In Egypt. And then we have the dispensation of the law. If only I could understand what God really wants. You know, the do's and don'ts. If I knew what to do and what not to do, then it would all be okay. The dispensation of law runs all the way from Egypt, from the Exodus... To the cross. And all that time, what did the law teach us? That we can't keep the law. That man falls short. And then we come into what Paul's talking about here. Dispensation of grace. The unmerited favor of God. The understanding that it's not about innocence. The understanding that it's not about conscience. It's not the government. It's not all these other things. It's the need for the grace of God poured out in our lives. And this message, the dispensation of grace, the mystery of the church, that's what put Paul in prison. But yet he was so excited about it, he wanted to share it. After the dispensation of grace, we have two others. We have the dispensation of tribulation. Sometimes man says, you know, if I see it for myself, if I can see it and hear it, then I'll believe it. Well, in the tribulation, that, that is going to happen. Angels are going to fly through the heavens. It's the last time you saw an angel flying through the heavens. Proclaiming the everlasting gospel. Witnesses doing signs and wonders and incredible things. 144,000 going out and sharing the truth of the gospel of the word of God. Yet the Bible says men will cry out to the mountains, fall on me. Not cry out to God to be saved. Because that doesn't have anything to do with what they see or hear. And the final dispensation is the dispensation of the kingdom of God. Where God's going to prove that man is not a product of his environment. For he will live in a perfect environment and in the end still rebel against God. 
The reason why dispensations or understanding the dispensation is a good tool, it helps us to understand where was God in his progressive revelation to the people when we were studying the scripture. When we're reading through Moses, when we're going through the law, we understand we're in the dispensation of law. God's revealing himself to the nation of Israel through his law. When we read Paul, we understand with the tool of understanding dispensations that God's revealing himself to the world through grace. Understanding that helps us to see the where's and the why's. Why does this happen? Why does that happen? What's going on here? It helps us understand. Not inspired, it's just a tool. And here Paul says, listen, it's this dispensation, this dispensation of grace that's been given to me. In verse 3 he says, listen, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read... You may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, a new creation, Jew and Gentile together, the tearing down of anything that separates us. And we're wrong anytime we build that wall back up. Anytime we say we need to be separated, we're not the same, we're not on equal footing. The word of God says the walls of separation are torn down. There's no more different in Christ. We're all one. Outside of Christ, lots of different things. But in Christ, we are one. This great mystery that he's talking about. This incredible mystery that that he wants to point to. He says now in verse 5, Which in all other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. The church, everyone being one. No, listen, the Old Testament told us that there would be a light shine to the Gentiles. It never said that the Gentiles would be on the same footing as the Jews. That everyone would be brought together in unity in Christ Jesus. That was something hidden, revealed through Jesus Christ. That's what the mystery means. Something at one time that was hidden, but now has been revealed. An open secret. Something we can see and understand today. And it was revealed by who? The apostles and prophets in the New Testament. We see God speaking through these men that he brought forward to give us the truth. We can be one in Christ. That we who were once dead are alive. That we who were far off are brought near. That we who were separated have been reconciled. It's an incredible, exciting thing that Paul's, that Paul's stoked about. And then he says in verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Hey, we're the same. We experience these incredible blessings. We are heirs together with Israel. Heirs together. Members together of the body of Christ. And shares together the promises of God. Now those are good things. Those are things that the, the Jewish mind never understood, that he never saw. But as we look in the scripture, we can see God laying these things out. God laying out this plan. He goes on, building that idea in verse 7. Of which I have become a minister. Remember I told you he was going to build on this idea. Two things. Prisoner, minister. Prisoner of Jesus Christ. And a minister. And in this minister, the diaconos, the diaconos, the same word we, we get the word deacon for. It's simply one who serves, a servant. 
The picture in the Greek is like a waiter doing the bidding of his customers. Waiting upon his customers, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. He says, given by the grace of God, the unmerited favor, who was Paul when God called him? A murderer, Saul, whose name means exalted, trying to destroy the church. And it never left his mind the fact that God reached out to him and saved him, even though that's the kind of person he was. And it should never leave our minds what we were once and are no longer, but what God has brought us from. Over and over and over again in the scripture, he would say, remember where you've come from. Remember what God has done in your life. Remember the grace that has been poured out on you. Because if we remember the grace that's poured out on us, we will be like Paul. We won't be full of pride. We won't be full of of some concept about how wonderful we are. But rather, we will be like him. Literally, what he's going to tell us is, he's less than the least of all the saints. He says, I'm small Paul. I'm just a little guy. The more I learned about the word, the less important I realize I am and the greater God is. And that's what occurred in him. But not only does he talk about this gift of grace that God had given him, but then the effective working of his power. The effective working is the Greek word for energy. And power is dunamis, so the word we get for dynamite. By the effective working of the energy of God flowing through me like the power of dynamite. That, if, that energy, the Holy Spirit being within him and the power that the Holy Spirit brings, the power of the resurrection that has been bestowed upon all whom the Holy Spirit inhabits. Filled with this energy, filled with this power. But is he proud? No. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints... This grace was given. The less, in the Greek, it is all messed up. He uses the words wrong. He calls himself lesser than the less. Lesser than the least of all of them. Bad English. It's even bad Greek. But Paul could do what he wants because he's Paul. He wants us to get the point. Hey, I'm not proud. I'm not exalted. The more I learn about Jesus Christ, the more humble I become. That's the truth. The more we learn about the Lord, the humbler, the more humble we become. And that's what Paul's doing. That's what happens in Paul's life. That's what he wants us to grasp. He wants us to understand. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So as he's talking about this incredible mystery... Then he moves on to the ministry, the ministry of that mystery. This mystery that God's given to me, what's my, what's my ministry in that? First, he says, to preach to the Gentiles. To preach to the Gentiles. What's he preaching to the Gentiles? Christ is everything. Christ is everything. He says the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's untrackable, untraceable Difficult to understand the immense riches that we have in Christ, but the understanding we need is that He is everything. He is everything. He says, Here's my ministry with this mystery. First, I got to bring it to the Gentiles. 
I got to let them know of the saving riches that they have in Jesus Christ, the sanctifying riches that they have in Jesus Christ, the practical and eternal riches that they have in Jesus Christ. I got to tell them about the unsearchable things Jesus Christ has given them. That's the first part. Then he goes on to say in the next verse, in verse 9, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which was from the beginning of the ages, has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. To make who see? All see. So first he's to tell all the Gentiles about the incredible riches that Jesus is everything that they need. And then his message is to inform the world. There's a new humanity, a new race. The new race is the church. The church, that place where everybody fits. That place where everybody can find a home. That place where everybody should be loved. If we want to be the kind of church God wants us to be, someone shouldn't be able to get in here without being loved on. I don't care what they look like, smell like. It doesn't make any difference. God says there's no walls of separation. We build up those walls, right? We look at someone and and judge their value or their worth. But to the Lord Jesus Christ, if he was the only person or she was the only person left on the planet, he would have come and died for him or her. And he says, in my church, there's no separation. We're all one. We're all unified. You have a home here. You're welcome here. You fit here. We're going to love you here. You have a place to fit in. This is the message to the world of the church. The message to the Gentile, Christ is everything. The message to the world, in the church, you're welcome. You're part of our family. Come and be in Christ Jesus and enjoy the beauty that we can find in the church. It's been said that dynamic evangelism will happen when we live out these two things. That Christ is everything and that everyone is welcome. We live out those two things. And we'll see God move in revival in the land. Christ is everything and everyone is welcome. Everyone fits. Then he goes on and says in verse 10, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. He says, not only am I bringing a message to the Gentiles, Christ is everything, a message to the world, everyone is welcome within this new humanity, the church, but I'm also teaching the angels. The angels are learning. Listen, in 1 Peter chapter 1, if you want to flip there with me, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, this is what Peter has to say of this same thing. He says, of this salvation... The prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, not to the prophets, but to us they were ministering, the things which now have been reported to you that those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire to look into. 
In the Greek, that means things that angels stoop to look. It's been said that the church, the new creation, the things that Jesus is doing in the dispensation of of grace is graduate school for the angels. Because they learn about the grace of God by watching that grace of God work practically in the lives of believers and in the church. Things that they stoop to look into. Paul, back in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, listen, that, that the manifold wisdom of God, multifaceted, literally it's multicolored, like the many colored jacket that Joseph had. Many colored, multicolored, multicultural, and, and what is it? The manifold wisdom of who? Of God might be made known how? By the church. By how we treat each other. By the things we do for one another. By the way, well, what is it that Jesus said? They will know you are my disciples by your love one for another, right? The way you care for each other. The way you care. So that's how they're going to know. And the angels are going to understand the multicolored, multifaceted wisdom of God by watching the grace of God work practically in your life as we treat one another the way God calls us to treat one another as a new humanity, a new race, a new group of people accepted in the beloved. The angels are learning by watching us. By stooping in, by seeing what it is that God is doing. John Stott said this, It is through the old creation that God reveals his glory to humans. It is through the new creation he reveals his wisdom to the angels. He reveals it to them as they watch us. And what do we have in the church? Look, he goes on to tell us in verse 11, According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has a plan, right? And it's revealed to us through Jesus Christ, in whom, what do we all share in? We have boldness. The word for boldness literally means freedom of speech. Now, I don't think it means the same thing you think it means. It doesn't mean that it's a good idea to say anything you want to to God. It means that you have the right To speak to God any time you want. Freedom to walk right into the throne room. There's God. He's he's ordering out the things of the universe. Making sure the planets are spinning the way they're supposed to spin. And the stars are twinkling the way they're supposed to twinkle. And whoever's supposed to win in the football game is winning. And while God's doing all that, you can walk right in. You don't even have to knock first. Because you're a child of the king. You can come before the throne of grace with boldness. Freedom to speak to God. Freedom to say to the Lord what it is that you want to say. Not only do we have boldness, we have access. How do we have access? We have access to the throne of grace by the fact that his son Jesus Christ became sin for me that I might become the righteousness of God so what gives me access the righteousness of Jesus Christ gives me access to the father access what did Jesus do he tore down the wall of separation right 
when he died on the cross, what was torn in the temple? The veil, right? That separated the holy of holies. <laughs> it's as if God was saying, open house. Now through my son, you can have access to me. You don't have to go through a high priest. You don't have to go through none of this other stuff. You can come with boldness, freedom of speech. You can come with access. Just come in in the righteousness that we find in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then finally he says, not only do we have boldness and access, but we have confidence through faith in him. That means reliance that in Christ we will not be disappointed. Do you have confidence? Do you have confidence that in Christ you won't be disappointed? That truly he is everything that we need? That there's not some other thing, some other deal somewhere else? I mean, sometimes I think if I only had this or that, then I'd finally be happy. But the reality is, if I had a deeper relationship with the Lord, I think I'd find that satiation a lot quicker. Because in stuff, stuff breaks, gets scratched, stops working right. Gets run over by vans. A lot of things happen to it. (laughs) Stuff gets broken. But Jesus, he's never broken. You have confidence that in him you'll never be disappointed. The Bible lays out for us that I would not even consider this present suffering worthy to be compared with what? The glory that shall be revealed in you. In Christ Jesus. Do you have confidence That when it's all said and done and you stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you won't be disappointed. You won't be disappointed in what God has done or in what God is doing. He goes on, not only this, not only we have boldness and access and confidence through faith in him. But look in verse 13, therefore I ask you, do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is for your glory. Suffering is for your glory. And here in this case, it was Paul's suffering. Paul's in prison. He says, hey, don't fret. Don't worry for me. It's all for the glory of the church. It's all for the glory of God. Whatever we do, whatever we say, can you do that? Can you make that your life? That everything you do is for the glory of God. I coach football for 10 plus years, and every single year I coach football for the glory of God. I had kids who played football for the glory of God. Whatever we are, whoever we are, whatever we're doing, can we do it for the glory of God? And if we're doing it for the glory of God, it takes all the pressure off. It's for God's glory. And he's going to be glorified whether things are good or things are bad. Doesn't mean I don't put effort, doesn't mean I don't try. What it means is, all that pressure's gone. Man, this is for the Lord. I'm doing this for Him. And for the Lord, at least in in that realm for me, God gave us great success. We were at a state championship all the time. Didn't win them all. But we were there. Because we took what we were doing seriously and we did it for the glory of God. And whether we won or lost, every one of them kids got together at the end of the football game... We come down into our end zone and we lifted up that game to God's glory. Whether we won it or we lost it, we gave it to him. We won more than we lost. Great. But them losses, some of them were tough. Headed into a 13-0 season, beating everybody in the world, walk into the championship game, losing overtime. 
Look at your seniors who have, have slayed for four years, tears running down their face. And watch them raise their hands and give that game to God. For His glory. We can do everything for the glory of the Lord. All the suffering, whatever we're going through, whatever we're struggling with, we can do that for Him. Now He's going to move in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knee. Now He's going to start praying. In verse 1 he says that same phrase. For this reason it reminds me of the, the ministry of the mystery. Let me tell you about it. But now he's going to start his prayer. He's going to focus in on his prayer here. He says so I bow my knee. Now how many of you guys know how Jewish people pray? Standing up and moving. Constantly moving. Almost never bending or bowing the knee. Bowing the knee was something they did for an extreme, uh, when, when what they were praying about had extreme emotion behind it. So they bowed their knee. For example, Solomon bowed his knees when he dedicated the temple. There are times when God's people bowed their knee. I learned that bowing your knee sometimes isn't the best thing to do when you're in Israel. We were at the Western Wall and we're praying for people and I got together with a group of guys a couple of bikers that had gone to Israel with me and we went up to the wall and we knelt down and began to pray and the next thing I know somebody was wrapping us on the back of the head with an M16 that's not usually good (laughs) apparently because we were bowing our knees to the Jewish guys that they thought we were praying to the wall They didn't understand. We're praying to the creator of the wall. But in order not to frustrate them or upset them, we we stood up. Well, we can pray your way. God hears both ways. Whether I'm on my knees, standing up, on my face, whatever it takes. But when we look in the scripture, it says, Paul, for this reason, I bow my knee. Man, he's like filled with emotion, seeking the Lord. And in this prayer, and I'm going to challenge you, read all the prayers in the Bible. Search the prayers. Find one where they're praying for material things. Find one. Here Paul's going to be praying for spiritual things. Because spiritual things are what we need. Especially us. We have material things. We, what we're lacking is the spiritual reality. And Paul wants us to, to plunge into that spiritual reality. So he's begin, going to begin to pray. He's going to begin to bring his requests before the Lord, for this reason, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. He's blown away by the beauty, the majesty, the dominion of Almighty God. Man, he's, he's just amazed at everything that God is and everything that God has done for him. From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That you would, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, four things. He's going to say, I want you to be strengthened. I want you to be deepened or experience the depth, a, a new depth with the Lord. I want you to experience apprehending all that God has for you. And I want you to experience being 
filled. And he starts it all with according to his riches. Not from his riches. Well, look at it like this. If I had a million bucks and I gave you ten, I gave you ten dollars from my riches. It's portion. If I was a a millionaire and I gave you a million dollars, I gave you according to my riches. It's proportion. It's proportional. According to his riches, God is giving. He has freely given you everything that he has. All the blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Everything. He's given it to you. So this is according. According to the riches that he has, these are the four requests that he's going to lay out. One, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That the inner man will be filled with the power of the spirit, which is our enablement for Christian living. That's how we're going to live, that we're filled with strength. How? What strength? This might? Through the power of his spirit. And where is that strength going to be? That strength is going to be in the inner man. That all our spiritual faculties will be controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how he's praying for you and me. For the church. That we be strengthened in the inner man according to the power of the Spirit. Then he's going to focus in on that depth. And in that depth he's going to focus on three things. That Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, depth, and height. So listen, I want you to to have a deeper relationship with a God. And and the first word he uses to describe that deeper relationship is that he would dwell in you. The Greek word for dwell means to be at home in. Is Jesus Christ at home in your life? Listen, the Bible's got a perfect example of it. You guys remember Abraham, right? Abraham, and he had a nephew named Lot, right? Lot lived in a weird place. He moved to Sodom. Bad idea, right? He moved to Sodom, but God came and visited Abraham with two angels. And you remember what they did? They hung out in Abraham's tent. And Abraham served him, and God talked to him. And later on, when the angels were going to go visit Lot, what did the Lord do? He stayed with Abraham. Why? Because he was at home with Abraham. He wasn't at home with Lot. He didn't go there. He sent the angels there. But with Abraham, he was at home. He dwelt with him. So we have the Lord dwelling with us, dwelling in us, settling down within us. And then he goes on the idea of being rooted. Being rooted. He wants us to be rooted. This rooting is is the place where we'll draw all our nourishment and stability. Where does all your nourishment and stability come from? Does it come from the Lord, from the love of God? Is that where all your nourishment and stability comes from? Because that's what Paul's praying, that you be rooted, that your nourishment and stability would come from the Lord, that you would be grounded, that your foundation would be set to the rock. Jesus told a story, right, about two men who built a house, one in the stone, one in, in the sand. What happened? The house in the sand falls down but the house on the rock stood firm who's the rock 
Jesus Christ. What's your foundation set on? Are you grounded? Are you grounded to the rock of Christ or are you built on sand? Are you rooted? Are you receiving your nourishment from the love of God? Are you grounded and established on Jesus Christ? This is Paul's prayer for that depth of understanding that we would draw nearer unto God, that we would have a deeper relationship with Him, that He would be at home in our lives, that we would get our nourishment from Him, that we would be grounded upon Him. And then he goes on to tell us, hey, not only that, I want you to be able to apprehend, to lay your hands on something. Not only that we would acknowledge, listen, that you would comprehend with all the saints the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which, what's it say? Passes knowledge. Isn't that a little weird? To know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. How do you know something that you can't know? How do you, how do you comprehend something that you can't quite grasp? That you can't quite really get your hands on? He wants us to apprehend these things that God has given us. To lay our hands upon these things. Is it possible to understand something? To make it your own? Listen, the width of His love. Wide enough to embrace the world. How far? From one scarred hand to the other, right? The width of his love. The length of his love. It's long enough to last forever. The depth of his love. is deep enough to reach the most twisted up, ratted up sinner on the planet. The height of his love. He's able to bring us to heaven. To not only comprehend, but to know personally, to put your hands on, to apprehend all that God has for you. To put your hands upon the things that God wants you to understand. A.W. Tozer says this, From God's other known attributes, we may learn... That happens to the best of us. We may learn about his love. We can know, for instance, that because God is self-existent, his love has no beginning. Because he's eternal, his love can have no end. Because he's infinite, it has no limit. Because he is holy, it is the quintessence of spotless purity. Because he is immense, his love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea. Before which we kneel in joyful silence and from which... The loftiest eloquence retreats abashed. The beauty, the majesty, the incredible love of God. But that you would know that, that you would put your hands on it in a personal way. Not just a comprehending with the saints, but putting your hands upon that love. Putting your hands on the love. God's love is never going to run out. It's never going to run out for you. It's never going to be not enough to get you through or over the hurdle or or around whatever you're going around. God's love is going to be everything that you need it to be in that place and in that time. And then finally, not only that, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God. 
the means and measure of our film of our feeling of what we need within us our fullness is God himself not my brother not that I would be filled with the fullness of the guy sitting next to me that I'm as good as him but that I would be filled with the fullness of God that he's the measure that that's where I'm striving that that's what I'm trying to attain to not this person or that person but him to be filled with his fullness to, to, to empty myself. You know, the way that God fills us is we allow God to pour himself in. And as he pours himself in, all the junk comes out the top, right? If I got a jar full of dirty water and I just keep pouring in clean before long, it's going to take a while, but before long, it's clean water. Because all the junk is poured out. To be filled with the fullness of God flowing through our lives. He wants us to be strengthened, to be deepened, to lay our hands on an understanding of all that God's given you and I through his love and to be filled with his fullness. That's his prayer for the church. That's his prayer for us, that we would have all those things, that we would experience all of that filled with that fullness, filled with that understanding. And then he goes on to him or Verse 20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. By the way, that's a lot. In case you're wondering. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us. That's that power, the dunamis, the dynamite of God. But the working of it is according to the energy of the Holy Spirit that works in us, the energy of God, the power to do what God's called us to do. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above everything that we could think or ask. To Him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the prayer Paul has that we might lay hold we might put our hands on all that God has for us not just comprehend it with your mind put your hands on it listen this morning we have an opportunity to partake in the Lord's Supper in a way to have a touch point of faith to put your hands on the body and the blood of Jesus Christ To remember all that God has given. And I think today also to have a spirit of prayer that says, man, I need to be strengthened with all might by His Spirit in my inner man. I want to have a deeper relationship with God where He's at home in my life. Where I'm rooted in His love and grounded to the rock of Jesus Christ. That I might apprehend, put my hands on the understanding of his love, this limitless love that he gives to me. So that I might be filled with his fullness. This is the attitude of prayer Paul has for the church. It should be our attitude of prayer as well. So today, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and have the worship team come up and we'll prepare to to hand out the implements of the, of the Lord's Supper, the body and the blood. If we go ahead and have the ushers come on up. 
And we'll get started in that, handing out the, the bread and the cup. And as those are passed, I just invite you to hold on to them. And maybe just take a moment to, to read over that prayer that Paul had. That prayer that we would be strengthened in the power of his spirit in the inner man. That we would, that we would understand the depth that God wants us to go to. That he's at home in our life. Rooted and grounded in his love. Laying our hands on apprehending that which we comprehend. And being filled with his fullness. And as we consider that, when we, when we finish worshiping, we're going to come together and, and we'll partake together of, of the Lord's Supper. But then I want to encourage you. We're just going to have a quiet time of worship right after that. And we're going to have folks go around to, to pray, to be available to pray with you. And I want to encourage you. I'm not saying it's wrong that we pray for the needs that we have. But sometimes our prayer life is out of balance with what God wants to do spiritually in our lives. So I want to encourage you. We're just going to have a quiet song after that. And, and, and I'll share a little bit with you. Prayer counselors will be around. And we'll be available to anyone who wants to pray. And then we'll close at the close of that song. So I want to encourage you. Allow the Spirit of God to minister to your heart right now.